Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Internationally renowned writer and speaker Fernando Rossi has collaborated in more than 500 fiction scripts, documentaries, and fundraising samples, including two documentaries nominated for the Academy Award and many that received funding from ITVS and the National Film Board of Canada. Her book, Trailer Mechanics, How to Make Your Documentary Fundraising Demo, Second Edition, is, according to industry professionals, the Bible on demo production. And Carol, I didn't know you you needed a writer for documentaries. Yes, you do, Claire, because and Fernanda is just the right one to help those who are struggling with their story. So thank you, Fernanda, for joining us. Oh, my us. pleasure. No, my pleasure. Always uh, great to have a chat with you, whether we have an audience or not. <laughs> it's important to catch up with each other. Yes. I'm such a fan, have been since day one. When I, I think I walked into the event you were giving back in 2001, and I just yeah. really was impressed with you and your teaching skills. Yeah, you were actually on day one for real. You were one of the first people to see my work uh, as a lecturer, but also my work, uh, um, starting my work, uh, collaborating with people. So, yeah, you, you've seen the whole uh, growth with the trials and tribulations along the way, yes. Absolutely. Well, what is so important now is that um, I really want to cover, what, start out today with what does a writer do in a documentary? Because most people think that everything is already in the film. They feel that they're going to get everything with their interviews, and sometimes they do, but many times they don't. Right. Right. Well, it's a just the concept of a writer in a documentary is um, very controversial because we're coming from a, from a very very long tradition of very textile films that pioneered by other Maisels, Pennebaker, and a bunch of other people in Europe also. Um, sometimes called cinema direct cinema or cinema verite, but the same idea that uh, we put the camera there, we are a fly on the wall, we're witnessing. Uh, what's happening, and we don't interfere. Um, now, that's a very nice sentiment, and the intention is correct not to interfere. But if you have read uh, from anthropologists, um, sociologists, um, from Levi-Strauss, Margaret Mead, until up to an editor in the edit room, we know that the moment you put a camera, you are interfering. The camera is interference. Um, but we come with this idea that, oh, nothing has changed. There is no maker. In fact, I think Albert Maisels, uh didn't, want put to, didn't put his name as director many times. Um, but again, if you spend five minutes in the edit room, we know that we are manipulating reality. So regardless where you stand, the reality is that somebody, whether called a writer or not, has to figure out the story. Um, 
And whether we want to make it public that there was a story being manipulated somewhere, uh, whether it's by where you put the camera or in the edit room, um, that story needs to happen. So obviously the director comes up with a story. Um, sometimes the editor figures out part of the story. Sometimes a researcher will figure out part of the story. Um, and sometimes all of these people cannot figure it out. <laughs> so that's um, when in historical documentaries it's more common to go and call a writer and say, okay, you will be in charge of figuring out the story. And the, the writer will work with the director, with the executive producer, with the researcher, with the editor. It's one more person in the team. Um, so now that there is a resurgence of experimental dogs and other type of dogs that are somewhat very terrible, but, you know, there is a, I've, I've seen a growth in acceptance that somebody has to take charge of the story and, and help move that forward. Um, so what many people ask me is, well, but what if there is no narration? And I said, well, the writer does narration, writes narration sometimes, but sometimes the writer has to select some bites and put them in an order that makes sense, sometimes order of scenes. Uh, strictly speaking, that work is the work of the dramaturg, but it's not customary in films to put that credit of dramaturg. Uh, the writer is the person collaborating with the editor and the director to figure out the story. That's it. Um, I think when we don't want to acknowledge that role is because we're ide ideologically charged <laughs> with cinema verite ideas. But the truth is somebody at some moment has to figure out the story. Absolutely. Well, this is where uh, many times with my film grant, I see uh, trailers that and and I read a lot of proposals and where it shows up is in the proposal often mm -hmm. where there's too many threads and you can't follow I'm not sure what the story is this is where it really comes to life when they can't write you a clear direct story so what is that when people come to you for help is when they have so many options yeah i work with people at different stages and the work changes slightly. Um, obviously, the grant writing process is one where you can definitely work on story development. That's a prime time to figure out these threads, these storylines, how they're going to interact, make decisions about characters. Um, grant writers for hire, which I do also, um, could do some story development, um, but I think the issue in our business is that not everybody is equally trained. We're not regulated by anybody. Uh, we don't need to pass a bar or do a residency or belong to an um, association of any kind. So we don't have uh, standardized procedures. So when you work with a writer, who knows? Maybe it's a novelist. Maybe that person is really good writing narration but has no idea of how image and uh, words interact. Um, you might get some director who does it on the side to help others, and that might have a strong influence of the style of that director. So because we are in a business that is highly unregulated, I cannot say, well, these are the procedures, because anybody can call me back and say, well, I do it this other way. My background is, right. yes, and you, you have gone through that, right? How, have you gotten a call saying, I do it this other way? 
and, and what are you going to say? No, the union says there is. We have nothing. Everybody does whatever they want. So we have to be a little bit more vigilant. I'm very uh, clear about my background. You know, I have a background in semiotics. So I'm not married to the word or the image. My job is to create meaning. And, and I train in coaching, so I can do this without imposing my views, trying to stay separate and be really um, supportive of the process so people can do it in their own way. So, yes, many people call me when they are doing story development, and I do story development through the writing of the synopsis and treatment. A lot of people call me when they have a huge pile of footage, now of drives, and they they don't know where to start. They don't have a method. Sometimes they have an editor. Uh, some senior editors would charge a lot of money to sort through all of that. Some people have a junior editor. Some people have editing skills themselves. Um, and many editors, even if they are experienced, they will say, well, you figure out the story, and when you know what you want, call me. So I could write the book about the variables of our business. You know, there are so many different situations. So I analyze these things in a preliminary conversation with people and say, okay, what's your budget? What's your goal? What's your schedule? Let's figure out the best combination to get you there. Um, and the thing I emphasize is not just time and money, but also burnout. Before we run out of time and money, we run out of energy and enthusiasm for our film. We take so many turns, wrong turns. We, do, we have so many doubts that we end up burning out. And then it's very hard to raise money and find the time when you're so burnt out. So I say to people, before you run out of time and money, you burn out. That's why you run out of time and money, because you burn out. And the way I collaborate with people is to avoid these wrong turns and burnout in uncertainty. We want to avoid that so we can maximize that energy to put it into the film. So in a nutshell, I would say I join people at any stage. Um, I collaborate with the editor uh, closely. Editors like working with me because then I take care of the doubts and the hard thinking, and then they can concentrate on editing and making it beautiful. Uh, so, yes, I will join whenever. Uh, it will be different. Normally I get hired for the entire duration of the project. But I've been called at rough cut stage when there is an assembly that is three hours long. And the same thing you see in the proposal, that you have, you see many storylines and it's not clear. I see it visually. I see three hours that is very hard to uh, make sense. And we sit down and we start making sense of it. Um, so, yeah, I think the work of the writer could be varied uh, and it could start at any moment. And even if somebody doesn't call the writer, somebody will, within the team, assume that role. Very often, it's the executive producer. Executive producer. That's interesting. Yeah. Many executive producers um, have some story supervisor role. They look at the cut. They go, oh, still not there. Go. Go back. <laughs> they don't do it. <laughs> they don't do it like a writer would do it, or at least as I would do it. I don't look at the cat and go, oh, not working, go back. I, I say, okay, this is not, uh, this could work better. That's more a phrase I would use. Um, and we'll go and analyze it scene by scene, and we have discussions, and we rewrite, and we try things with the editor and the director. Um, but yes, when nobody's 
has the position of writer or dramaturg or story supervisor, it will naturally default to either the producer or the executive producer because they're not as close, they have some distance, and they have a bigger picture of how they want to market the film and where they think the film should go. But they don't have the skills in general. I don't want to generalize, but in general, executive producers don't have the skills or the experience to do the coaching process or the hardcore right, sitting down and writing, you know, in front of the computer mm-hmm. and, and write the words. Most likely they will give feedback and, and they will orient. That's why the writer position had been kind of a no man's and no woman's land um, because of this prejudice that a writer in a way is interfering and creating something and therefore um, obliterating the power of verite. You know, there's this big thing that, oh, nobody wrote this, this happened for real, without interference. But the writer doesn't need to interfere. A writer could simply facilitate the process, um, arranging sound bites. Um, yes, could say that, and clarify you know. sometimes, Fernanda. Sometimes it's clarifying. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a lot of, of, of those things. So because we have this prejudice um, that nobody writes the documentary, um, in TV, nobody will say this, but in independent documentaries, you know, oh, nobody writes it. It's happened that way. I left the camera, and that's it. I think the only person who could say that is Raymond Depardon from France, who I think it was called District 12. Oh, I wish I could remember now. He put the camera in court and shot 12 minutes nonstop of people pleading their case in front of the judge. So people had parking tickets, other minor violations, and Basically, people were like talking to their dad, saying, no, I didn't do it. And it was hilarious. <laughs> Twelve minutes of people pleading with the judge. Not a single cut. Nothing. Nothing. And even then, I would say, Ramon de Pardon chose where to put the camera, chose the people, and, and chose in what order he was going to tell. I think it's six stories. Um, but that's the closest we can get to, oh, there was no writer. People were improvising their way through the court uh, that day. Uh, everything else, anything that has a single splice, had somebody making a story decision at some moment. And that story decision can rely entirely on the editor, entirely on the editor and director, or depending on the complexity of the project, it might include a writer. Um, so I think we have to get over this prejudice that all documentaries are made on their own. You know, it's reality happening in front of the camera. Nobody interfere. I capture the moment. Um, minimally, you need to write the synopsis and treatment. So somebody has to write that. Um, so, yeah, I think we have to get over this prejudice, acknowledge the role of uh, a writer, and um, and probably I would dare people to include the title of dramaturg. Why not? Why not acknowledge that some people just work on the structure and um, and they don't write anything. Sometimes I don't write anything. Sometimes I'm just shuffling sound bites. And that's what um, a story editor would do. Uh, now, story editor is a credit used in TV, but I think um, it's gaining uh, a place in credits in, for independent films. So I, I'm going in circles about the complexities of... Um, description of the job, how different people can do the same job, and the necessity of the job in certain cases. But I think ultimately somebody will be uh, taking care of the story, and sometimes that somebody is a writer. 
Absolutely. Okay, Fernanda. Well, let me let me change the subject for a minute and let's talk about a five minute piece which is could be called a demo or a sample mm-hmm. and because of your background in uh, semantics, explain to us what this is and what the various uses are for it. Yeah, the sample um, is something that appeared in the film business around the time I was starting to do uh, work as a writer um, in collaboration with people and lecturing. And a lot of people said, well, since you know structure so well, maybe you can help us put together this thing, people didn't even know what to call it, this sample, this work in progress that grants are starting to ask. Um, Grants before only ask paper you know, synopsis, treatment, budgets, lots of paper. Um, but until 2001 or two, nobody would ask for a demo because it was very hard to put one together. But as cameras and things, like editing equipment, started to be more affordable, obviously more people started to submit work, and in response, grants also started to ask for more because it was possible to ask for a demo. So at around that time, somebody asked me if I could help them figure it out. And I thought the challenge was very interesting. Oh, a new thing, a new product that needs to be figured out. So I went out, and there was nothing written on the topic, nothing, not a single article, nothing. So I had to do primary research, um, and we were a bit ahead of Europe. Europe started to use demos around 2003 to 2005, roughly. So I started to call the organizations that were asking for it, one by one, um, and and say, okay, what do you want? Why do you want this? How do you want it? So I used all that information, uh, plus my experience of the demos I was starting to work on, uh, plus the experience I had as an editor myself back in the day, and I put together a book that came out first in 2005 and then the second edition in 2012. And there I explained the whole process, from the many names used around the world and how controversial they are and how everybody disagrees with the name invented by somebody else, to the different lengths used. Um, It's funny because we started with only one demo 10 minutes long for grants, and today there are demos that are one minute for some festivals, three minutes for online, five minutes for in-person interviews, seven minutes. There are all types of demos. It's very common for somebody to have two or three demos at the same time in different venues. So, so yeah, it's been, I would say, 10, 15 years I've been working as a writer for documentaries and 10 years that I've been researching and thinking about this issue of works in progress. And it hasn't gotten any easier. It's as controversial. We're still fighting over the right way to call it. We're still saying whether you should start this way or that other way, if you put title cards or no title cards. And and that um, keeps me employed. So I'm all for the controversy. (laughs) So yeah, it's been, well, I'm working now on the third edition. Uh, The second edition is still available on Kindle for now. Uh, for those who need it immediately and cannot wait for the third edition, um, the print is out of print. The second edition is out of print. But Kindle uh, still has the digital version available for those who need immediate assistance. Well, what, when will the third edition? Do you have a, any idea when it will be ready? 
I hope by the end of the year, but you know how these things work. Um, so hopefully by the end of the year or or earlier, the latest January. Oh, okay, fine. And where would they find it? On your website? It's always on Amazon. Yeah, Amazon always is the on easiest. Amazon. Yeah, it's the easiest way to reach all filmmakers everywhere in the world. So, um, yeah, and I'm working on another couple of books, um, and that's why um, the schedule is a bit tentative. I'm working on a compilation of articles I have written over the years. I wrote over 200 articles on different topics from creativity, storytelling, etc. So I'm working on a compilation and another book I cannot say yet. Um, but it will, it's, a, it's a big gap in our industry. We don't have information on this particular topic. And I'm going to, uh, again, go and do the research from scratch and figure it out. Um, and, and I don't want people to think that I'm all for regulation. I think we're good, uh, but we need to have some standards. I think our film business is aching for some standards. Well, that's an interesting point, and you're the only one I've ever heard bring that up. But well done, yes. Well, I um, I just want to get into this trailer bit one more because I still yeah. call it a trailer. Um, you you do help people with trailers, right? Um, yeah, as part of uh, the bigger but, plan. Uh, yeah, part of the bigger plan. I remember you saying one time, always create the long trailer first, and then when you go after a grant or something, and you have the ten minutes and they ask for five, you, it's easier to cut it down. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, normally when I work with people, we're working on a bigger plan. We're doing story development. We are, um, you know, maybe writing a synopsis. We, we're doing different things. And the demo is one manifestation of that. Um, a demo is a great thing to test story development, to see whether the story is working or not. It's kind of a dress rehearsal for the film. Um, so I normally, it would be rare for me to work on a demo standalone. It's a bit hard to work on a demo with no context. So we end up working on everything that goes around it. Um, sometimes we're working on a demo while working on a rough cut, and the demo is an excerpt from the rough cut. Uh, but yes, I always suggest to go and do the 10 minutes, um, have it there at the computer, and then when you need to do a 7, a 5, a 3, it's easier to cut down. Now, this is, seems obvious, but it's not so obvious when people are pressed to get a Kickstarter campaign or crowdfunding campaign of any sort off the ground, and they need three minutes. It seems crazy to go and cut 10 minutes when you need three minutes now, right now. And sure, you can get those three minutes right now in two days, put it online tomorrow, but then when you have to do the five minutes, you have to start all over again because it's very hard to transform that three into a five. Almost you are, you are starting again, almost. Uh, but if you figure out an arc for 10, first your synopsis and treatment will flow much more easily because there are a lot of things that are clear in your mind when 10 minutes are going. In front. You can see 10 minutes. Then you can write a synopsis and a treatment. And then it's much easier to cut uh, versions out of that. So, again, in the spur of the moment, when people are looking at the clock and trying to make it to, you know, whatever meeting, whatever festival, whatever market, they will do whatever they have to do. But I always say, plan ahead, try to do it a minute. It will make everything much easier, even though it feels like a pain in the moment. But in the long run, it will be much better. 
Right. And how long should a real trailer be? Is there any such thing as a as a time? Because everybody um, seems to be asking for different links these days. Uh, they are. They are. And I think, again, I don't want to sound like I want to regulate this business and put constraints, but everything goes. And that everything goes is hurting filmmakers. So... Yeah, everything goes with a demo. It could be 10 minutes for grants. Uh, somebody might say, just send me one minute, but they mean two. Um, they say, oh, send me one minute, one minute. They mean short, right? They mean something really short. Uh, you might need five minutes for a first meeting. It it varies. And, and there are no fast rules. And also there is a little bit of a tendency to ask something different every time. So broadcasters could say, oh, send me something really short. And you send them something really short, then go, oh, I would like to see more. And you go, oh, why didn't you ask first? So then you send seven minutes, and they go, oh, this is looking good. Do you have a budget? When do you think you can have a rough cut? So filmmakers are assumed or are supposed to have a full production house running out of their living room, um, and the person are ready to crank out things as needed. Now, think 30 years ago. Was that possible 30 years ago? Impossible. You couldn't expect people to deliver at the drop of a hat things just like that because you had to go to the lab, you had to develop. It cost a lot of money to rent the rooms, to edit. Remember that time? Of course. Um, Yes, I do remember because I'm not that young. I remember that time. And now, because we know everything is out of a desktop, a computer desktop, people ask and ask and ask. And the burden is on the filmmaker. So filmmaker has to figure out how to either have basic editing skills or hire editors all the time to keep doing versions of versions of versions to deliver. Um, I think uh, I ask broadcasters to be a little bit more considerate that not everybody can have a full-on production company running 24-7 to deliver on demand. Um, even Good people who have... Oh, yeah, I I think um, just because we can do it doesn't mean we should. Just because we can crank out, you know, trailer after trailer after demo after sample doesn't mean we should be spending time catering to the whims and needs or supposed needs of all these people. I think we're suffering the consequences of a business that has a huge supply and very little demand. And I see instances of almost abuse in that that because filmmakers are competing with so many other filmmakers, they will go to any length. But I'm getting to a point internally with a lot of other people where enough is enough. Um, There is the same lack of regulation in credits. Credits is anything goes. And the PGA, Producers Guild of America, are a bit upset that pretty much anybody can get a producer credit just by donating money in a crowdfunding campaign. You donate money and they offer you some production credit. That's that's a bit crazy. That's cheapening <laughs> our business. Um, yeah. The same happened with festivals. 5,000 submissions at $50, $70 per person. And all you get in return is a form letter. Well, can somebody explain to me how a festival can handle 5,000 submissions? Are they watching 5,000 films? So I think there are a lot of areas in our business that need some soul search and we're carrying models that are very old, and we need to rethink how we're doing things. And I think uh, Pat Afterheide did the same for fair use. Fair use was the same no man's land. 
anybody did anything, anybody claimed that. Nothing was fair use. You had to pay for absolutely everything. And she said, oh, that's not the way it works. And she put the team together, and today we have standards. Um, thank you, Pat Alfreider. <laughs> you know, she, she set standards for the industry, and I think we need more Pats. We need more people um, finding some common practices um, because, yes, a demo can be done. But I feel, and I make a living reworking those demos. I'm, I'm almost working against myself here. But I, I, I feel for these filmmakers that they come and say, Fernanda, no, they want the five minutes. And I go, I, I do strategies that avoid that. You know, I work with people in ways that they go, oh, they want the five. I said, I told you, let's do it. And we can do it very fast. But, again, I think we have to take a step back, uh, see that this is a business that is losing its main goal of making great work because there is such huge supply and there is such little demand and it's skewing the idea. I had somebody on a Facebook discussion saying, well, you know, you need to strategize, you need to think, you know, it's the hustle. And I said, filmmakers are not supposed to know how to hustle. They need to know how to make films. We're not here <laughs> congratulate the one that knows how to hustle the best. We need to support and congratulate the one that, who makes the best film. So, again, the burden is always on the filmmaker. And I think we have to take a step back. Yes, you will be asked 10 times, 10 different type of demos. I would say yeah. stop and request uh, more information. And when they say, oh, they want another one, I will say, before you comply, can we ask why? What are they looking for? What do they need? What couldn't they see in that first one? Can we put it in writing instead? Can we show a scene from the film instead of cutting a demo? So I help filmmakers also with strategy, how to negotiate uh, that exchange so they don't spend all their time catering to other people's needs and they can't spend time making the actual film. Exactly. That's really important. Well, let me ask you, um, maybe you could give some tips on how you take a 90-minute story and put it into a 10-minute trailer. I mean, how, what do you use? What are your guidelines for finding the story? Right. Well, the first is, is it a marketing trailer or is it a fundraising sample? If it's a marketing trailer, I will say grab the best five moments and turning points, and that's it. If it's a demo, I will say concentrate on the first uh, 10 minutes of the film and the climax of the film. And that's assuming that people have done either shot the entire film and um, or they figure out the entire story already. But many people are in the beginning testing the story. The trailer is, the sample is a tester for themselves to see if this story can fly. So I would say concentrate on character and main issue. We'll both say, I'm going to shoot, what should I shoot to see if if the story will work, and then if it works, make sure that they have enough for my first demo. And I say concentrate on character and main issue. Um, many people concentrate on background, and background doesn't help too much. You need to concentrate on character and what they're about to do, what they are doing, what's uh, hot at the moment. Um, a lot of people get derailed by thinking, okay, what's the, what's the background? Why is this happening? 
or why it's important and pressing issue. And, and they become a bit advocates. And that's good. You can put some of those things in the demo. But if you don't get the character with the main issue, then it's very hard to justify why everything else is there. Some demos and some proposals are, this is important, this is important, this is important. You know, that's all they do. They, they spend three paragraphs saying how important this is. And I said, no, you have to tell me what happens, not why it's important, what happens. So I always tell people, if you want to write or if you want to shoot something, think in your mind, what happens, what's the action? And that's a good way to make sure that you have scenes rather than cute moments or advocacy moments. Absolutely right. What happens? Well done. Well, what about people who have a great idea and they need to put something together to show the idea, but they have no footage? What do you recommend? Well, we have a few options. Um, one, it depends why there is no footage. There is no footage because it's an event that will take place and it's unique. Well, we can rely on past events. Um, so it, I ask a lot of questions when this situation happens. Is it because it's too far and we cannot go there? Well, there are great organizations online like the D Word, which is dsdocumentary-word.com, where you can connect with filmmakers all around the world. You can hire what we call a fixer or somebody who goes and shoots uh, things, and you can, on, over Skype, you can discuss these things, even be at the shoot or the interview. Uh, is it that there is no uh, footage because there is no money whatsoever? Um, well, you cannot, depending whether it's historical film, you can probably rely on archival footage that you can get from a library. Um, so to answer how to make a demo when you don't have anything, we have to ask further why don't you have anything. Is it budget? Is it geography? Is it uh, time? The event hasn't happened yet. Or, you know, a combination of those things. Um, some situations lend themselves better to create a demo uh, out of thin air, and some are impossible. Obviously, a very textile film around a character, it's almost impossible to do a demo if you don't have anything. And, and actually, nobody will care to see anything but the character because the demo proves access. So in that case, when you're doing a character-driven, very type of film, you need to go and shoot that. There is no other way you can prove access. Historical films, you can get away with it. Um, several characters, you know, follow the ones you can. So, again, it, it requires a little bit more thinking and strategizing, but I know people who have done demos with PowerPoint and, and storyboarding, um, obviously not for a grant, but for a lot of uh, meetings, you know, they just use basically what we uh, a, a lookbook, in fiction, they use a lookbook. They did an audiovisual lookbook um, with yes. sample footage. So, again, it depends on the situation, but it can be done. And, um, you know, I think even something properly and neatly shot with an iPhone is better than nothing. Um, you're always better off showing 30 seconds of a special moment, at least to initiate the conversation. Uh, and maybe, you know, that gets the seed money to go and shoot the demo. Unfortunately, there are many grants for demos, um, fundraising trailers. Um, we have ITVS Diversity Fund, which is limited for diverse people. Um, and I, I think you offer a development grant. 
Did I put you on the spot? Yes. <laughs> oh, you do? Okay. I knew somebody. So there aren't too many. There aren't too many development grants to do demos. And again, uh, it's the burden of the filmmaker. The filmmaker has to go and figure out how to get that initial money to to go and shoot the first few hours. Right. Well, all right. I know that you've been so good with your time, but just one more question. Um, can you Could you tell us the most common pitfalls that filmmakers make when making a demo? Yeah. Hmm. They have changed over 15 years, right? In the beginning, everything was a pitfall. <laughs> like, <laughs> demos were really, really uh, precarious. Um, and it was very easy for me to do case studies of before after. Now people ask me to update the demos of my lectures, and I do, but it's harder and harder to find a demo where there is a dramatic change, where I get something that is horrific and, wow, look what we did. It's very hard uh, because people have access to a lot of demos, uh, even if they don't know if they're good or not or if they won grants or not. They, they still get to see a lot, and there is a lot of information out there besides my book. There are lots of people talking about their experience and what they would do and etc. So it's a, a little bit harder to talk about pitfalls these days. I think the the biggest pitfall I see lately is to try to explain too much. Try to explain too much background um either with voiceover narration or with um text um but rather than concentrate on the action, people want to explain, and they want people to know that this is important. So that's um, a, a common mistake. Another one is a, a bit of a departure from the treatment. They have a great idea on paper, and, and the demo doesn't quite sustain it. With reason, they couldn't shoot enough. So um, there are ways to match those things. Um, I would say those are the most two common things. Um, people today are very savvy. They know they cannot do a music video uh, type of demo. That wouldn't work very well. Uh, that used to be a common mistake years ago. People would make flashy things, you know, with catchy phrases and uh, lots of effects. And that's a great marketing trailer, but not a fundraising demo. So that mistake doesn't happen anymore. People have pretty solid demos these days. They tend to be to over explain things at times. That's the only problem. I understand. <laughs> right. Well Fernanda, I want to go back to your book. So the hard copy is sold out but the Kindle is available and Yeah, the and, Kindle can and, be Downloaded in an iPad too. I didn't know that. Uh, actually, you can uh, read Kindle books in an iPad. Uh, so yeah, it's basically an e-book, and uh, uh, the hard copies are out after a few years. And uh, I'm working on the third edition. And a lot of people ask me if I write a book about story structure and storytelling. And yes, I've been working on something, but uh, I'm a bit more. Um, I don't know how to explain this. It's not that I'm not demanding with my demo book, but with my uh, writing about story structure, it's a much bigger topic. So it's been taking much longer than I wish. I wish I had finished this book years ago, but it's an ongoing thing. Um, but, yeah, I have written many articles about writing and story structure and storytelling. So mm -hmm. they're out there in the Internet, in the cyberspace. <laughs> they are people. Yes, there's in the cyber ether, it's there floating lots of articles about storytelling and story structure. 
All right, and I love your website. They can go to your website and they, they can always tell us the website and how they can reach you. Uh, documentarydoctor.com, documentarydoctor.com, all spelled out. And my Facebook is facebook.com slash storydoctoring. Storydoctoring. So yes, I answer all my emails. I befriend everybody on Facebook. Everybody welcome. And I have a Twitter account I don't use a lot, but it's F-E-R, like the beginning of my name, Rossi, R-O-S-S-I, story. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much, Fernando. I learned oh, my so pleasure. much from you. And, uh, Claire, thank you for hosting the show. Yes, thank you, Claire. Oh, you're so welcome. It was a great pleasure okay. having you, Fernando. Thank you. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Okay, we, I want a copy of your book when it comes out, and we will have to talk about the new stuff that's in there. That'll be exciting. Absolutely, yes. You always get a copy. <laughs> okay. So you will get this one, too. Okay, thank you so much. Always a pleasure talking to you. Okay, lots of love to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Be well, everyone. Be well, everyone. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.